0: Let's kind of push the tech in a more positive direction and see what we can't do to empower more people to participate in the economy. Those that maybe in the past didn't have as many opportunities to make a business, create a business, make money, whatever. And so I want to kind of use technology and leverage what we're building to empower a new kind of class, a new group of people to participate and have a voice.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Debutify podcast. Today, I spoke with Sarah Osborne, We touched on lots of different topics. Firstly, design principles, then moving to how her company, Amaze works to create customer experiences with animations and other tools. We also touch on NFTs, Web3, the blockchain and tokenomics in e-commerce. Hey, I'm Connor.
0: Great to meet you,
1: Connor. Nice to meet you too. So you're currently leading the partnership and integrations at Amaze, which is a design tool that helps customer experiences in e-commerce and creators, as you're saying. But I want to step back a bit. Can you tell us your life as a child, as an adolescent, and how you ended up getting here to where you are? Because it's obviously a a very excellent position you've reached.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, high level. There's a lot of of luck that helps to get me where i am today but ever since i was a small child i've been really interested in and drawn to things that are very aesthetic so design fashion art i always had some kind of like coloring or paint with me and while i didn't go into design as a career initially i it kind of i kind of went that direction as well. So, yeah, I think just that love for visual aesthetic and having pretty strong sense of, you know, kind of like my own sense of like design and what I like and what I think is good. And also I I do create art now as well. um, Oh, nice. Mostly digital art. And it's a little kind of weird and out there, but great about that. So there's always been that kind of that thread of not only creation, but also of design and visuals. And so when I joined Amaze back in 20, gosh, it was a long, 2014, so quite some time, I definitely did not join in the capacity of a designer or in product. I joined in the capacity of operations. And at a startup, operations essentially means everything that's not writing code or doing the marketing. So I was kind of running, you know, running accounting, working with all of our outsourced kind of, you know, back office partners to keep the lights on for lack of a better word and then in 2015 the company did a bit of a, a refocus it initially started out as an open source JavaScript framework for creating these really smooth slick animations for the web which at that time was very new and novel and exciting however uh, you know the company had gotten some some funding and can't make a ton of money? In open source JavaScript libraries. And so, you know, we we decided to do a bit of a focus. Uh, We reduced the team to a very, you know, kind of core set of, I think there were six of us who stayed on. And we were really charged with figuring out how to productize this core tech that had been developed. And so from about late 2015 to 2016, 17, 18, I was very hands on with the product and really got to play a a, an intimate part in figuring out what it is that we're gonna build. And the original CEO was also very design oriented. And um, from a lot of his vision, we constructed kind of the first few iterations of what is now today called Amaze Pro. Just my evolution with the company and the opportunity that I I was fortunate enough to have to stay on board at that critical pivot in 2015 is really what I attribute to how I got to where I am today.
1: Nice. Do you think it was like one of your skill sets or relationships? You're just a nice person. How did you climb the ladder?
0: With a lot of people. Your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness and I okay. am very, you know, stubborn. I don't give up easily. I'll keep kind of pounding on something until I can like get it to work or figure it out. And I think that's what kind of carried me through a lot of the more, um, you know, very ambiguous times when you're trying to build a product or bring it to market. From like a personal standpoint, I think that headstrong, like not give up, stubborn perspective is really kind of the vehicle that I used to get here as well.
1: Nice. That's a good reflective answer. Knowing the strength is a weakness.
0: It's always a flip side.
1: <laughs> yeah, it totally is. So just please uh, run me through for our listeners, like who can use Amaze? And I know that it's like a design template, but can you just explain the process for you know somebody who's going to join it?
0: Absolutely. And so uh, what I'll speak to is our, our current product, which we call Amaze Pro, it also, you know, we'll be introducing a a free tier. And then, you know, I can kind of speak to, if it makes sense, um, kind of where we're taking the product. uh,
1: Yeah, no, I'd like to hear about it.
0: Tomorrow. So today, Amaze Pro is essentially, it is a no-code tool for creating very polished, professional-looking mobile storefronts or mobile selling pages for your products. And it is really great for a whole variety of of people and, and use cases. I would say primarily because it was initially designed as a professional tool, anybody who has even a little bit of like web design experience, and I say that um, loosely because it really is like a WYSIWYG. And so what you see is what you get. There is a little bit of like, you know, you do need to refine some of the responsive stuff a little bit, but that's pretty minor. However, really anyone who has content or even doesn't have content that wants to create some type of branded experience for themselves or for their business or even for a client if you're an agency. And what's really great is that because of that core technology that we built back in 2014-15, that animation engine, what users can produce is a very like native-feeling experience that you typically only get when you are interacting with a native application so think of like story like animations you know you can you know swipe back and forth up and down we have 3d transitions and a whole library of really interesting and engaging content animations that you can apply to elements that are on your design so from a an e-commerce standpoint of course engagement is super important and anybody that lands on your page that you create with a maze, you want to keep on that page as long as possible and move them to whatever that next step in the funnel is. Whether that is moving them to you know, more information so that they can make a purchasing decision in the future or move them to actually make the purchase if they're actually ready to do that in the moment. And what we found is that by using these visual animations as cues you can drive users to take that next action. And so it's it's just an interesting meld between like this design tool and e-commerce that's kind of bridging together this creative commerce solution that merchants can use to sell their products in a, in a completely new way and a very focused and targeted way. And I say very focused and targeted because it is quick to create these essentially, they're single page mobile websites, right? Just with some interesting, cool tech under the hood. However, you can create them really quickly. So, if you have several audience segments that you're trying to engage with, you can create an experience for each of those audiences with content specific for them. Of course, today, as we kind of move away from this like monolithic traditional kind of storefront and e commerce space to more of this decentralized space where retailers, brands, and merchants have to go meet their audience where they are, no longer can. You rely on people coming to your, you know, online store. Uh, you got to go. You got to go meet them to where they are. Amaze really enables them to do that in a more effective way by creating these very custom experiences. The tool itself is very similar to, from a, a usability perspective, very similar to some of the other more popular professional like web design tools out there. We took a lot of inspiration from Sketch, a lot of inspiration from Figma. We even took inspiration from Keynote. Uh, and and power. Yeah, yeah. It's it. great app. Uh, and so there's just there's we tried to pick and pull, we took a lot of inspiration from Canva, I'll say that too. So we tried to pick and pull the best in breed features and use usability patterns from those market leading tools, put them into kind of one interface in a logical way so that you both had the power from the kind of core tech and also some of the more sophisticated, advanced editing capabilities, but there's also a very simple way to use the tool as well by, you know, simple drag and drop content from, you know, libraries. And it, we also offer a live preview functionality, which is super helpful. So you can essentially scan a QR code and then live on your mobile device as you're doing your design, creating your, your maze page, you can see those changes in real time. So you know exactly what your audience is going to get. When you publish that page and share it out to them, there's, there's really no surprises, which I think is important.
1: Yeah, that's quite genius. I'm on the free trial right now. I didn't know that you could do that. Those templates you're discussing um, are quite, the animations, sorry, are very beautiful. So yeah, I encourage people to have a look at that.
0: You can get real creative with them too. So, uh, you know, if you want to dial in every little, you know, twiddle every knob on every kind of, uh, you know, attribute for those animations, you can certainly make them as custom as you want.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, I make films, and it's kind of like a After Effects a little bit, mm-hmm. making nice, out so. little keyframes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so just to just to understand it a bit more. So, I know that you like integrate with things like Shopify. Yes. But is it just a snippet that you're adding into your, you know, already you've got a domain on Shopify, or is it a web page that's by, you know by itself?
0: So it's interesting because it's kind of more the latter. Oh, it's a standalone site. However, based on our integration, what we're able to do. Is publish the page, the Amaze page, to your online stores domain, which is important for any merchant that is wanting to build trust with their audience. URLs are really important and critical for brand identity. So what we were able to do is leveraging uh, some of the APIs that Shopify offers, uh, we were able to set it up so that when you publish your Amaze page, we're actually going on to your storage subdomain. We are generating a kind of a new blank page path that is then assigned to the Amaze page. So when you publish, while the Amaze page will not necessarily be navigable from your primary online storefront, it will share the same subdomain. So it's standalone from your online store, but it does have that same subdomain. So you can still be recognized by your customers and your audience when you share this page out across whatever channel you want to use.
1: Yeah, that's very nice. That, that was two, one of the, things, the
0: feedback that we got from our customers when we were doing some initial testing is like, Hey, I need to be able to publish this to my domain. Otherwise, there's a lot that's lost from brand recognition. So we were able to take that feedback and and actually implement it and improve our product.
1: Yeah, 100%. I would love to test that on my domain because it's it's so dynamic, the app.
0: Yeah, So in addition to publishing to a Shopify domain, which is really great for Shopify merchants, if you're not a Shopify merchant and you're simply creating branded content that you want to be able to, you know, publish out to your audience. um, Or if you are using, you know, maybe you want to have products that link out to a different location, um, you can always add your own custom domain and publish there as well. And so we try to be, you know, kind of serve both both audiences both our, our Shopify merchants, which are near and dear to our hearts, and then also those who maybe don't have a Shopify store yet, but still would like to create some branded content to engage their audience with.
1: Just in that vein, is it going to be so far? Is it strictly you know, product-based, optimized? Or are some of your customers more softwares or services
0: It's a good question. So it's a mix really. Um, So we do have a number of merchants from Shopify that are using our product to sell physical goods. And of course, you know, if there's subscriptions, uh, they could sell the subscriptions through us. We also have a contingent of users who are using our product to almost do like prototypes or mockups for other digital products that they want to create. So, and that's kind of a, you know, kind of our, our legacy user base. As we move to the future, the users and, and the personas that we are really going to be serving are going to be the retailers or the sellers. So those that um, have products to sell and they can be either brands or marketplaces, whoever's trying to sell products. And then also on the flip side, we are going to be really targeting and creating a tool set for creators who don't have their own products to sell. But they have an audience. And that audience, really, really critical, potentially these brands that want to start to sell into a very highly engaged and almost niche in some cases, audience. Really where we're heading is not only supporting or or providing tools for Shopify merchants, but now we want to create this ecosystem of brand and and creator collaborators. That's essentially the product that we're building right now that we're really excited to refine and and release uh, so that we can really be a driving force behind this new uh, kind of creator and brand collaboration economy, which, you know, I think personally is that's the way things are heading, right? I mean, as we kind of continue to move into this decentralized commerce scene, where people are buying things wherever, you know, like, I honestly, I, I honestly only go on Instagram these days to like, see what products I get served and see what I can buy from them. I'm like, cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sounds
0: like a shopping feed for me now. It's great. But as as we see that happen more and more, those really, you know, establishing long-term relationships across brands and creators is going to be more and more important. And what we're noticing today is that there really isn't a lot of tools on the market that are tailored for that specific relationship and supporting it not only in a from a discovery standpoint so not only enabling brands to discover creators creators to discover brands but also from a an execution standpoint and so what we want to be able to do is create like a global catalog of products that these participating brands are contributing and then have that kind of global catalog almost be a marketplace for creators to come in search for products that might be in line with what their audience is interested in or perhaps a piece of content that they're creating, then that creator can leverage our design tool to create that really highly targeted and customized storefront very, very quickly, plop in the product, distribute to their audience. So you get this kind of content commerce meets uh, collaborator-creator-commerce, the audience is highly engaged because it's relevant content in a very engaging format. And then when a sale occurs, we're going to be implementing some tech to help do some kind of like rev-sharing across the brand and the creator. So when we talk about helping both brands and creators build their business, it's really that, that rev-share piece that will be driving that. The goal is that as brands and creators see an uptick in conversions... They will continue to, you know, sell more products and engage with each other more so we can create this kind of flywheel effect and really be, be there to support this new era of decentralized social creator, collaborator, commerce, whatever. I I don't know what to call it, honestly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so new. I'm like, what, what is this? And what do we call it? So
1: it's just something
0: that needs, that needs a little bit of labeling and branding, but that's all right.
1: Yeah. Fair. Does that look like affiliate marketing today or is it something else?
0: It's something else. I think so affiliate marketing, I think today is it's very anonymous. Oh yeah, totally. It's also, there isn't a, a relationship between the affiliate typically. And the, the brand or the seller. I like to think of where we're going more as, you know, there's some aspects of it in terms of the rev share. So, where we're heading, yes, we're, we're kind of borrowing this notion of a rev share from the affiliate marketing space, but it is also so much more because we are enabling creators with a new set of tools to produce content to better connect with their audience and also provide some monetization opportunity. With this product that they could be selling on behalf of a brand, Mm -hmm. but also as we start to see or as these brands and creators start to see you know, more and more synergies, the idea is that they would then establish longer term relationships with each other so that we're moving away from these like one-off deals or these one-off kind of like, let me grab a link and put it anywhere. Like it's... Yeah, yeah of course. At the end of the day, people are only going to engage with content that's interesting and that's valuable. I don't know. From my, my perspective, I think the traditional affiliate marketing piece is not super valuable to the audience always. And... We want to be able to bring some more value to the audience, and you know that's such a key part to any type of performance when it comes to either content engagement or 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 commerce at the end of the day. So I think it's all about bringing value to the audience, and uh, we really hope to be able to do this with this new platform.
1: It kind of sounds like Audius. Have you heard of Audius?
0: No, I've never heard of Audius.
1: So Audius is like a. Sh- potential Spotify disruptor where they're trying to connect the musicians with their audience. The Ah. problem being that on Spotify, you don't get any analytics or or tools on the daily. You get one email a year that shows you kind of your audience and where they're at. But Audius is saying, you know, there should be a constant feedback and an ability to curate and create a community. And there's also like a tokenomics sort of thing there as well, which I definitely don't understand. I mean, it's essentially just saying you can get tokens for plays mm. and hope. And it, I mean, the, all those tokens are potential pyramid schemes, but uh, it sounds a little bit more aligned to helping the, the artists. It sounds good if that's what you want to do too. It's an admirable feat.
0: The creators are are so passionate about what they do. Any opportunity there is to help creators continue to do what they love to do by making some money. Like, I think, like you said, that's, that's pretty, pretty noble cause. I don't know, just to kind of get uh, philosophical for a second. I think the do. creativity has been sucked out of so many of us because of the world we live in and the pace at which we have to, to move, to work, to whatever, to survive and seeing people who are so committed and dedicated to their creative or artistic passion, whatever, in whatever form that is. Like, that can be baking. That can be, like, somebody's willing to, like, commit and make it their life. That's the ultimate goal, I think. Like, if you can wake up and love what you do every day, I think that needs to be rewarded and that needs to be, you know, supported and more people should have the opportunity to do that. And yeah, of course. Yeah, new tools coming on the market as, I mean, there's already a bunch of great platforms out there, Patreon and, you know, there's there's a lot, but I think having it move away and having it be, I don't know, more accessible to a wider range of mediums and interests is only going to help, it's only going to help people be happier with their life. I think we can use as much as that as possible these days.
1: Yep, we definitely can. You know, there's a theory that uh, after 1970s, when plastic was created, that the world is less beautiful.
0: I That's am kind not of to- I believe yes. it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's strange.
0: I mean, it makes sense. And I think also in a similar thread with everything being able to produce so quickly, so cheaply, it diminishes the value that certain physical goods have. So I'm interested to see kind of where the future takes us in the next like 50, 100, 200 years, if we still have this like strong dependency on consumerism or if we truly go more digital. And mm. if we leverage things like the blockchain more effectively and start to use that and, and start to kind of migrate more into this digital world and let go of some of the disposable and, you know, kind of the consumer addiction. Um yep. not sure what's going to happen, but I hope I hope there's a change.
1: I was going to ask you about that. Like, because everybody's incentivized to make these customer experiences so brilliant and engaging and kind of like, you know, stimulating. Are we going to reach a singularity where it's kind of just all too much and people put down their phones?
0: I don't think so. I think the technology will have to get real. I mean, I think we're pretty far off from that, to be completely honest. Take VR, for example. I think VR, while it's it's improved and advanced and leaps and bounds, you put on that Oculus headset, it's very, I don't know, it's not real enough, at least for me.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I just mean also in, in like advertising and advertising and things like that.
0: It could get a little busy. So if we talk about kind of visual distraction, it, there's always a risk there, right? And I think, you know, we've kind of seen that in the 90s and like it just got very unintentional. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's going, and we see this, right? The shift to a more intentional type of digital experience. The shift to a more targeted and focused experience that's delivering the right content to the right people when they want it or need it as opposed to just kind of like shotgun blasting everything out there as a result of the over you know kind of the overcrowdedness on, in the market we are seeing that more intentional experiences that have a true like brand voice whether that's visual whether that is speaking You know, in the language of your audience, you know, basically mattering, like listening to what your audience is saying and producing content that matters to them. I think we we are actually seeing like a shift to like the other side. I it's gonna be easier for people to engage because there's less noise. And as targeting gets better and some of the platforms get a lot better with their own delivery, I think that's just gonna get improved. Now talking about flip sides, the flip side that is this whole echo chamber issue that we're all very familiar with. And so I think, honestly, it's going to be the biggest challenge is for brands or whoever for consumers and people that are leveraging some of these platforms as well as finding the balance going outside of their normal, uh, you know, kind of communities, perhaps, or following different brands that they might not follow. So you just get some different content their way is I think we'll probably see more of that as people become a lot more aware of Kind of the machine that we're living in of optimization.
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of this um, ground news?
0: Mm-mm, I Haven't.
1: It's a very American product, but it takes you know fifty publications in the last you know couple of hours, and it shows you which publications are covering which topics. And you know, being American, it's red and blue, you know, the nice. left and the right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's showing, oh, like twenty percent of right publications are publishing this topic, and eighty percent of the left is covering it. So, it kind of helps you to see your blind spots in the media. Oh, I'm actually, I actually didn't know that that happened because 99% of right wing Mm. news publications didn't cover it. And vice versa, obviously, everybody's doing it. So, maybe there could be a space for that uh, in terms of like, E-commerce shopping, you know, you have like a a wildcard app where you go on and you're kind of like, well, I didn't even I forgot that they made these things, or you know, there's the service that I should have been thinking of, but I've been in my my echo chamber.
0: Yeah, totally. And honestly, it just boils down to like a recommendation algorithm. And so, you know, as as we launch this new creator and brand collaboration platform, that's something we're thinking a lot about is how can we create a recommendation engine for both sides? So we're recommending products. That are and brands that are gonna best align with a creator's audience, and then vice versa on the creator side. But you know, as we think about doing that, there has to be that interesting mix of newness, that interesting mix of novelty. Like, what is somebody gonna, what as I sign on as a creator to the Amaze platform, what am I gonna discover today that's new and different that maybe I didn't think I would be interested in, or maybe I didn't even know about? Yeah, there's this whole space of like, not only like AI ethics, but I think like algorithmic ethics in general and leveraging it for, I mean, good, good and bad is so subjective. So it's hard to say that, but
1: suffering and non-suffering
0: precisely. Yeah, exactly. So there has to be some, there has to be a little bit of, yeah, like nuance around that to best serve your users rather than perpetuate an echo chamber. Or keeping people in a bubble.
1: So I guess you you're kind of incentivized to keep track of the the times and see you know where where those echo chambers are happening. Like you, you're probably looking at integrating into different things like Instagram shopping. Would you integrate into that?
0: Yeah. So you know we we have a pretty interesting perspective on these uh, like native shopping tools, which number one are great. I mean, as a user, I use it all the time. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. just being able to buy something in the moment is so critical. And I think one of the, while that's very powerful, it also create, like you have to stay in that one that one ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for example, if I'm a, a brand or even like a retailer or whatever, I have to now create my Instagram shop. I have to create my Facebook shop. I have to t- create my TikTok shop. And that kind of limits me. That's not only more work, but that also means I have to go and create content for each of those different platforms. And it's it's work. And also, kind of keeps that keeps you in a walled garden. And more importantly, if you're partnering with creators and you're a brand, how do you share in the sales with your creator using those stores, those native stores? Well, I love those, and I think they're very powerful and great from a consumer standpoint. They definitely have some, like, leave some things out or lack a couple of critical pieces of functionality. So instead of having to be in this walled garden, what if you could create a selling experience, and then distribute it across all of those platforms as you would a link almost. That your audience could open up in that application as if it was native. They could continue to browse and buy as if it was native because you're doing it all within the web view of the application. That's really what we want to promote and continue to bring to market is that ability to create something once And distributed everywhere. It also would have all of the e-commerce functionality necessary, so you could simply, you know, a a shopper could simply click, expand, browse, buy. So it's functionality is all there. You just have to create it one time and then put it on all the platforms. Yeah, I think that's like with anything. There's benefits and then there's some drawbacks. But overall, you know, I think we're moving in this direction of this more kind of ubiquitous type of experience that can be shared everywhere if you want to, instead of being beholden to a walled garden that owns everything, including data.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, (laughs) that that probably needs to stop. I think that probably will stop the data collection. Yeah. People will probably use like pay to use search engines Mm -hmm. for a couple of bucks a month and have, I mean, uh, even companies like Apple will probably just make Safari just like data collecting free um just like they're doing with iOS 14 you know stopping right. facebook from collecting they're just going to be like we're really incentivized to protect people's privacy e- even though it's a kind of a weird like individualistic neoliberal perspective of like you know the individual is king so you're, pro- you're everything on your iphone is like really sacred and it's kind of strange and dystopian in that way cuz mm-hmm. anti community in a way it is but at the same time the market it's the invisible hand
0: it is. It is. Yeah, I won't go on my rant about capitalism. Probably shouldn't. Yeah. Do, I,
1: I was gonna ask you because you know you're talking about like let's get people buying more, and I was like, let's talk about is that good? <laughs>
0: I, yeah. So you know, I think like you know, with most people, you have kind of your kind of core internal beliefs that have developed over many years from your own observations, and that's just every problem that I see. I'm like, hmm. We always have to be expanding our economy and that's creating all these problems. But yeah, I'm certainly perpetuating that. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think there is so much to be excited about with regards to technology too. And that's what I get super excited and as it keeps me getting up every day as well. It's like, let's kind of push the tech in a more positive direction. And see what we can't do to empower more people to participate in the economy so that it's less of a people standing on each other's shoulders, you know, like elevate those that maybe in the past didn't have as many opportunities to make a business, create a business, make money, whatever. And so I want to kind of use technology and leverage what we're building to empower a new kind of class, a new group of people to participate and have a voice. Because the more people that have a voice, I think the more the more chance we're going to actually potentially move to a sustainable type of capitalism. Because right now it's so out of balance with the people on top just steamrolling everything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a noble cause. It's just like getting away from the hyper consumption at the same time. That's mm-hmm. the, probably a tricky part of that. Is like you yeah. really want to help people like do things that their parents couldn't do, or like the situation that they planned planted in. It uh, doesn't allow for them to do, but then you don't at the same time want to be like, yeah, and just sell plastic stuff, you know, right. but, but I'm very interested to see, you know, what, what we can do in the future, like sustainable services, sharing things. I think like decentralization itself is kind of a community in a way, in a slightly different way than a social media is Absolutely. But yeah, it's it's about bringing it into the real world. You know, that's kind of where you were going earlier. Like, I want to hear your thoughts on digital assets, like NFTs, and of course, the underlying technology of the blockchain.
0: Yeah, I think so. NFTs, I get real so interested to see where this goes. We're seeing the use evolve so rapidly. So, I think you know, initially, you know, everything was very nascent. You know, it's these digital assets that you can get that you know couldn't really do anything with. You know, I get that as like a status symbol. It was new and novel. But now we're starting to see like a lot more applicable. Like we're starting to see NFTs used in more of a, of a you know, for, for more utility almost. For example, I was reading an article this morning about NFT restaurants, kind of leveraging NFTs. You, know, you can buy access to this super exclusive restaurant that's going to be opening soon. Um, and it's, you know, all NFT based. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, Web3 and leveraging, you know, a lot of like, there's a bunch of like domain providers on Web3 out that are kind of leveraging NFTs to manage and track ownership of these domains. So it's, I'm excited to see kind of how that evolves. We're already moving beyond just static asset that can be tracked. It's it's certainly h- powerful. We're just scratching the surface. Yeah, I, I'm not an expert in this space at all. Do not know a lot about NFTs, blockchain, Web3. Just I've done a touch of research. And certainly um, there's, like you said, there's a community aspect building piece to, to, to like this new space. And I've actually read about some collectives that have started to actually put on, you know, kind of live event and are are kind of leveraging community that they built to bring some things into the real world and actually have them be super interactive. I'm a big science fiction fan. And I read a lot. I don't know if you know who William William Gibson is, but like my, my favorite book of all time is Neuromancer.
1: Yep, and, I've got um, it over there.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I just, every time I think about like NFTs or even like AR, I'm like, William Gibson wrote about this like 30 something years ago. So we'll just see how much of that Continues to to uh manifest here.
1: Yeah, maybe we could just go to Dune and get rid of the the computers altogether.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, totally. Or I'm just ready to like, yeah, jack into the Matrix, just be in the Matrix and fly around. I'd be cool with that too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a scary one, but it's also like it's it's less tech because you're kind of like removing the the plane. Like you're looking yeah. at a plane that's kind of like a counter immersion to just nature and breathing and you know all the good stuff the blockchain um i think that you at maze could probably do some interesting things with the experiences there's a company called v chain and they do um supply chain tagging on mm-hmm. the blockchain so it's mm-hmm. you know instead of like dhl or fedex going it arrived here at this time it's like it's put on the blockchain immutable it, it definitely did arrive here no one can tamper it
0: that's pretty cool it's interesting that you mentioned um, amazing the blockchain. So, we actually uh, have initiated, we have a partnership going with a couple of folks in the blockchain space. So, EverX, we actually just nailed down a partnership with them a few months ago. They are going to bring basically some like NFT functionality into our platform. So, users will be able to mint NFTs. Uh, yes, I saw and, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, that's, that's exciting and on deck. Um, and of course, we want to enable people to sell not only digital, like kind of Static digital products, but also be able to sell those via NFT as well. So they'll be able to mint and sell on our platform. And then we also have a partnership uh, with Ozone, which is uh, Ozone Metaverse is their name. And we are going to be partnering with them to actually create shopping experiences in the metaverse. So a lot of cool things happening on that front that we're just starting to um, spec out and build out. So... Uh, certainly we're we're eye on the prize in terms of like staying relevant across all possible platforms and channels and environments. to succeed today, I think you you have to be thinking about what's next. Uh, and not just in terms of you know the popular use cases or applications, but also what are the what are the actual like utility, What are the utilities of these platforms and tools? Because that's what's going to be—that's what's going to happen long term. The novelty is going to wear off. Whatever board ape, and we're going to start doing more of the supply chain stuff that you mentioned.
1: Can you speak more to that? What does what does that actually look like? Not to give away your secrets.
0: So we actually are just starting to spec it out. I actually don't. You know, we haven't. I can give you walk you through a couple examples. If you're a creator on our platform and you decide to uh, essentially like you, you like wrap a product from a brand, perhaps that. Brands is, you know, maybe it's a print on demand or something where you can customize a shirt, um, whatever, like customize a physical good. As a creator, I can not only sell that physical good on my Amaze page, um, I could even like mint that artwork perhaps that I created. And then I have that NFT. There's other use cases where, you know, we have maybe a collection of, we have a brand or a fashion, you know, company. That actually has like digital like NFT outfits or something that they then want to sell through to potentially creators in the face of you know whatever NFTs virtual worlds they'd be able to facilitate that through our platform as well and so I think you know there's a couple different ways where we're kind of visualizing how this could work but uh, we have not nailed down every single use case yet so if you have any ideas be all ears to see what you think. Uh, we could do with some NFT and blockchain technology in our tool.
1: You kind of want to get back to first principles with these things because you don't want to rely on the novelty. Like, why is it valuable? It's it's yours. You've bought it off OpenSea or you've bought it off a maze. How does that translate into utility for you? It's a tricky one. It is. It's a it's a, it's, it's right now. You know, it's a very much a, a a kind of memed thing because it is a JPEG. Even uh, even the process of like getting if you buy an NFT, it's kind of like money, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you don't get the cash anymore. You, you, I mean, even cash itself is a similar idea, but you're getting your name on a ledger that says that you have this NFT, much like a bank is saying you now have this money in your account. You don't actually get the the thing. You don't get like the the car or the food that you're, you're going to spend that money on. So the NFT could be kind of, I don't really know, but yeah, it should morph into something a bit more. Tangible, but I think maybe if it moves away from stills, that's probably where it's going to get interesting. If it's kind of like an experience, like like the Audius thing, where it's like, Mm -hmm. if you have a some an amount of tokens on Audius, you then get access to live stream event with your favorite musician, or you get to like demo a song with them, or 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 like send them a track that you've made and they can give you feedback on it. Like that's cool,
0: yeah. Something like that, that, totally. So I think in in terms of you know kind of how that could work with our platform and our technology is you know what if you were able to like. URL, so essentially, like we we generate URLs and it's like most, like single page websites with content, but you like a link have, tree kind of thing. Yeah, like you could have a yes, better but similar. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course.
0: Essentially, we could also set something up where you know a creator could put a piece of content you know behind tokenized URL. So I think that there's a lot of exploration still to do for us internally to understand um, what would be valuable. As well as understand what gaps are currently out there in the market. Like, what, what can people not do that they want to be able to do? That to me is the gold. We can figure that out. That's really where we can make some magic happen.
1: Yeah, 100%. That's kind of like the thing that you were discussing earlier about the, the evolution of affiliate marketing. Like, if you're going to put something behind like a traditional paywall and say, you can pay me on Patreon and I'll do X, Y, Z. If you're now going, it's a tokenomics system instead of a currency system, instead of a, a cash system, then you're going, I could actually give you tokens for something. And then you can give those tokens back to get through that paywall, which is kind of a bit more socialist in in nature. Now you're, you're saying to your audience, hey, if you promote me a little bit, or if you do something interesting or creative, I'll give you 10 tokens. And then in you know three months time, you can go, well, I actually spent those 10 tokens back to yeah. get through that. Paywall or something. Still a bit of a pyramid scheme, but uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe somebody smarter than us will come up with a uh, a break to the pyramid scheme.
0: I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's there's certainly something there. It's just yeah, what is what's what's like the little nugget that can yeah. be pulled out and extrapolated. So yeah, it will it'll, it'll get figured
1: out. Well, I'm I'm wary of your time. Is there anything that you that you wanted to touch on in this conversation that we didn't touch on?
0: No, I think you know just overall moving to decentralized interactions, engagement, and commerce. There's a clear gap in the market in terms of effective tools that can enable creators to continue doing what they do and make money at it, as well as brands to connect with creators in a meaningful way to to establish longer-term relationships and get that kind of symbiotic, mutually beneficial, working collaboration in place. Yeah, we're just really excited to help promote and elevate the creator space, as well as provide some new channels and growth opportunities to brands in this new frontier, you know, meeting your customer where they are in the wild, wherever that might be. That's where we have to go as e-commerce, uh, you know, kind of participants, because at the end of the day, it's all about providing value to your audience and to your shoppers. You can't do that. Why are you in business? And we're really hoping to play a pivotal role across all of the that kind of trifecta of brand creator audience, facilitate some massive value creation across all.
1: That's a good point. Sarah Osborne, it's been lovely to talk to you. Where can people reach you?
0: Uh, I don't know. At my email. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a good, it's a good thing
0: Uh to I mean, yeah. So we're at amaze.co is our site. If you need me for anything, I'm just Sarah at amaze.co. But yeah, you can get to all of our socials from our website. That's all I got,
1: really. Beautiful. Nice and simple. Well, thanks so much. That was a brilliant conversation and I wish you the best of luck with Amaze. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Debeautify Podcast. If you want to be part of the show, just email us podcast at debutify.com or head over to debutify.com to learn more. Have a great day and good luck with everything.